It's a wonderful joy for me to be with you this morning and to have the privilege of, uh, of proclaiming God's word. It is always a great and wonderful joy. I want to draw our attentions this morning to one verse that Cade read for us, and that is 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable or useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Amen. Several years ago, one of our directors, who is now long gone, displayed a poster in a very public area of campus, which read, five minutes of obedience is worth an hour of Bible study. Now, the problem with setting the study of the Bible over against obedience are obvious. For one thing, obedience includes the study of the Bible. God expects, and indeed he commands, God's people to study his word. Indeed, uh, earlier in this very book, Paul exhorts Timothy to do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. For another thing, Scripture reveals obedience. It is exclusively through Scripture that we know God's commands. How would we even know what obedience looks like? what we need to do to obey if we did not have the Bible. Now that dear brother, who continues to be a personal friend of mine, would certainly insist that he believes in the authority of the Bible and that he fully embraces what Paul says here in our passage regarding divine inspiration. And so we, we see a tension, if not a discord, and a disconnect between an affirmation of the Bible's inspiration on the one hand and a practical dismissal of the critical role of knowing and understanding the Bible on the other. And that disconnect isn't unique, is it? It comes to expression with every unopened and dusty Bible on coffee tables in evangelical homes. It is given voice whenever anyone suggests that the rigorous study of the Bible necessarily gets in the way of her spiritual formation. It is heralded whenever an evangelical minister begins by reading out a biblical text and then proceeds to preach a sermon that has nothing at all to do with that text or that demonstrates that he has not wrestled with any biblical passage in preparation for his sermon. Certainly most evangelical Christians would agree with this seminary's model, the whole Bible for the whole world and would quote by memory and approvingly, all scripture is inspired by God. But many draw back from putting it fully into practice. Now, there are several reasons why we may fall short of living into this great truth of the inspiration of the scriptures. And one reason I have already hinted at, the implicit denial of the 
practicality of the Bible for the Christian life. The implicit denial of the practical importance of the Bible often involves a creedal over against a functional notion of the Bible's inspiration. By that I mean that some Christians hold biblical inspiration as an abstract doctrine rather than a living dynamic. I have known Christian leaders who make the most far-reaching claims regarding what was involved in the inspiration of the biblical writers or, their, or the original autographs, and yet give little attention to the Bible in their discipleship and in their ministry. These leaders will actually focus upon the passage that we have read. All scripture is inspired by God, but they miss the point of this passage. For the stress is not upon the inspired nature of the Bible, the being of the text, nor on the original circumstances of inspiration of the scriptures, but rather upon the inspired or God-breathed activity of the scriptures. In other words, how God is here and now out-breathing in the scriptures as they speak to us. Scripture is inspired precisely in the sense that it operates as a vehicle that God powerfully uses to bring about the kind of transforming of our minds and the reforming of our behavior that leads to the robust and comprehensive flourishing that God wills for his people. The emphasis is not upon what inspired scripture is, but what it does. Now, to be sure, this present outbreathing work of God does say something about the nature of the Bible itself and the initial, and the initial process of inspiration. It does address that. It does have implications for that. It raises the question of exactly how God did originally inspire the biblical writers. It raises a question, but it does not answer it. On those rare occasions when the Bible addresses a process or mechanics of the original inspiration, it does so in only the most general terms. Men and women moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God, Peter tells us. But when we try to explore how God originally inspired these writings, we land quickly in the area of mystery. For the biblical writers, inspiration is centered on what God is doing through Scripture. As Isaiah put it, as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and return not again, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth, it shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and prosper in the thing for which I sent it. My plea is that while we affirm the original inspiration of the biblical writers and celebrate that this means that the Bible's substance truly expresses the very thoughts of God, that we refuse to allow ourselves to be entangled in arcane speculations or let creedal assertions substitute for experiencing the reality that the living God is powerfully active in the scriptures now and offers himself to us there. 
But God offers himself to us in the whole of Scripture. All Scripture is inspired, Paul insists. Now, if I may be allowed to make a technical comment, it is true that Paul has in mind here just the Hebrew Scriptures, or more precisely, the Septuagint, which, as all of you know, is a Greek translation of of what is for us the Old Testament that was very common that time was a Bible for the New Testament writers. That is the scriptures that he is talking about and not what came to be known as a New Testament, which of course did not yet exist. But Paul is talking about the scripture principle and what he says here applies now to the New Testament every bit as much as to the Old. At any rate, Paul is emphasizing inclusiveness all scripture, or every scripture. God makes himself known in the whole of the Bible, and not just in certain parts of it. So, we can short-circuit what God wants to do for us through the inspiration of the scripture, not only by a virtual denial of its practicality, which is what we have been talking about, but also by an effectual narrowing of its scope of essentially decanonizing portions that we don't like or don't agree with or that don't particularly speak to us. We live in an ideologically fraught culture and it is natural for us to bring our ideologies to the Bible so as to latch on to certain parts of the Bible that agree with our ideologies and to ignore or even repudiate portions of the sacred scripture that resist our ideological narratives. Some people do this blatantly. They read the Bible from the perspective of a certain modern ideology, and those passages that resist that ideology, they consider oppressive or unjust. And they may even preach that what these passages urge is actually evil, and that we should think or do the opposite of what they teach. But as problematic as that approach is, I am actually more concerned with prejudices and impulses that lurk deep inside myself, of which I may not even be aware, that cause me to avoid or to misread large, large swaths of Scripture. One of the functions of Scripture in the Christian life is to reveal our deepest thoughts to ourselves. Remember this great and familiar word from from the book of Hebrews. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joy to morrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. If I do not seriously expose myself to those portions of the Bible that are uncomfortable to me and seem alien to me, I may never recognize the kind of purging, the kind of healing, the kind of insight that I most desperately need. God is outbreathing every scripture and each and every one in its own way, sometimes peculiar ways, sometimes not easy to understand ways. Nevertheless, each and every one in its own way bears essential witness to Jesus Christ. The final way in which we may fall short of embracing this great truth of the inspiration of, scriptures, of the scriptures pertains especially to us who are engaged in ministry leadership. 
talking about the tendency toward professional detachment. It is all too easy for us to view the Bible as a tool to be used in our ministry rather than as a living word that wishes to address the deepest dimensions of our own hearts. When Paul says that all scripture is useful, he means God uses scripture, not that we do. Scripture is never to be used. If the scriptures are God-breathed or God-spirited, I must wait upon the Holy Spirit to minister to my own heart. And only then, out of my own encounter with God, can I minister the word to others. As regards the doctrine of inspiration, Karl Barth said, as regards the doctrine of inspiration, it is not enough to believe in it. One must ask oneself, am I expecting it? Will God speak to me in this scripture? Now, all this talk about waiting upon the Holy Spirit can be easily misunderstood. It does not mean abandoning the hard work of biblical study and expecting the Holy Spirit to speak of me, to speak to me out of the blue. Embracing the inspiration of, of Scripture means first and foremost honoring Scripture. And we honor it by attending to what it is saying with all the energy we can muster. As C.K. Barrett put it, if God's word is spoken through Scripture, no effort is too great to find out as precisely as possible what the words of Scripture mean. That is good British common sense. But when we have done all we can, it is up to the Spirit of God to illumine, to probe, to persuade, and to transform. How this happens, I do not know. We cannot manipulate the Spirit. But that it happens, I give great thanks to God. One final word. The context makes clear that availing ourselves of the God-breathed scriptures is a key to a life of constancy in a world of chaos and the key to a life of truth in a world and church awash in error. God is to be praised for inspiring the scriptures. We Christians will want to do everything we can to participate in the power of the scriptures and let nothing get in the way. Now, as we come now to the Lord's Supper, we need to remember that this sacrament is essentially an extension of the preached word. It is the word centered in Christ in reified form. That is why we most properly celebrate the Eucharist in association with the proclamation of the scripture. So as we partake of the elements and they are metabolized into our systems, it is a reminder that the word exists to be embodied, to make possible the kind of bodily existence that pleases God and that God will use. Amen.